Welcome to episode one of Caravan Conversations. On this episode, I travel to far northern New South Wales and speak to the man behind many of the very best boxes in our country, Mr. Angelo Hyder. We explore the purpose, drive and ambition that separates good from great. We discuss life, business and the key factors which underpin success, as well as the greats that Angelo has worked with, people like Mike Tyson, Danny Green, Jeff Fennick, and Victor Shinian, just to name a few. Now that the Green-Mundine rematch has been named, we talk about just how deep the disdain runs between both camps. We also speak openly about how Angelo and Danny feel about Anthony, the man, Mundine. If this podcast resonates with you or is a topic of interest that you feel family or friends may enjoy, please share the link with them. Your support of PSC ensures continued access to guests of this calibre and keeps me on the road to bring you guys the goods. Your support is greatly appreciated. Get comfortable, people. This episode is about to begin. O earth, what changes hast thou seen? There where the long street roars hath been the stillness of the central sea. The hills are shadows, and they flow from form to form, and nothing stands like clouds that shape themselves and go. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. Alright, hey guys, welcome to uh, Caravan Conversations. I'm Shannon Brenton, uh, your host and owner of PSC Supplements. And I'm here today to uh, talk to an old mate of mine that I've known personally and professionally for many years. Um, he's certainly uh, a guy that's um, worth talking to, quite an enlightened soul and someone who'll be able to bring some really good inspiration to the lives of many of you listening today. Um, I'd like to welcome Angelo Hyder. So Angelo, welcome to my 21-foot caravan. It's unreal, mate. Love it. <laughs> Mine. Not too bad, eh? It's a beauty. Well, it's on your block of land, mate, so uh, as far as the law goes, the possession's got to uh, mean, mean you're entitled to it to some degree. <laughs> but uh, thanks for having me here, mate, and uh, thanks for inviting me um, onto your property. I know you've only just um, moved back to New South Wales, um, be it we're only about 10 minutes within New South Wales, but you've just moved back over here from a, a relatively large stint over on the West Coast. Um, and um, yeah, so I thank you for having us here with, with such short notice, but um, reason for our uh, conversation with Angelo today, guys, is simply the fact that um, Angelo is a man who has been in the uh, boxing world for over 20 years, starting boxing as a young guy himself. Uh, that was just amateur boxing, wasn't it, back yeah. in the day? Yeah, in the but, army. In the army. But, you know, had a, um, a, a skill and had a passion for, for boxing himself. And Angelo has gone on to uh, work with, um, no doubt, some of the best boxers um, this country's ever produced. So, you know, uh, the reason for the Western Australian trip was because he was working for uh, Danny Green, who he's worked with for a long time. Um, other noticeable names, Victor Shinian. Um, who else you worked with, Angelo? People may know. Uh, Mike Tyson in his last fight. Yeah. Which corner me. Yeah, awesome. So, corner lots of fighters. and cor- oh, Chris, Chris Jerry, one of the main fighters we work with is Chris John. Yeah, yeah. He's a WBA fighter of the decade in Indonesian, but not well known here. Wow, yeah. So over Klitschko, Mayweather, Pacquiao, the WBA made him fighter of the decade. Wow. So, um, unbelievable. 19 uh, world title defences held the 
held the um, 10 years he was reigning champion, beat Marquez, who's the bloke who knocked Manny Pacquiao out. Yeah. So. Yeah, wow, pretty good. So um, I guess from uh, from the perspective of our listeners, Angelo, you're a man that's got um, plenty to offer. Um, I know that uh, for me personally, I've worked with lots of fighters over the years, uh, and um, I know I uh, made, mentioned to you this morning over breakfast that um, you know there's just something about fighters, something about boxers specifically that doesn't add up. There's no sort of uh, you know algorithm nutritionally that people like myself can put diets together for these guys that are perfect because they always seem to run at nutritional deficit. Uh, they're always people that are pushing themselves far, far, far harder than the average person. Uh, and as a result, certainly from my professional findings, is that these people are some of the you know, mentally toughest people that you'll ever come across. And I think it's their mental toughness that, uh, you know, wins them their, um, you know, their, their fights a lot of the time, obviously skill as well. But what I wanted to uh, hear from you today, Angelo, is I guess just your findings um, through, you know, your own observations, through working with these people, um, findings of your own life, of course, being surrounded by people of this calibre. You know, what the key factors are that differentiate, um, you know, a true champion from someone who's, um, you know, got the skill but not necessarily able to apply it in the same fashion or come away with the same level of wins. You know, and, um, you know, uh, for people that don't know Angelo, um, Angelo was also a, uh, an owner in uh, Pain Away, uh, the, the, the pain spray, everyone would know Pain Away, for, uh, for muscular repair and injury. And, um, you know, so just your findings as, a, as, you know, an elite coach, as a businessman in your life, what have you found of the, the differentiating factors for these people? And if you want, you can just start giving us a bit of a, um, a beginning of your life and you know, take us through some of you know, the things you've witnessed and come away from. But what, what are your takeaways? Well, just to answer that question, I'll start with that. Whether you're a boxer or a businessman or a parent or, or anyone in, in the world, it's generally the people that are prepared to give more make more sacrifices, you know, those basic principles, you know, of, of sacrifice and um, commitment. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's football. Like, I worked with Parramatta the year they lost the grand final. I think it was 2009. Had a, you know, Nathan Highmarsh and Luke Burt and Fooey and Jared Hayne when he won the, the medal there, you know. So it's just about commitment when people are, are prepared in life to make those commitments to be a better parent or a better boxer or a better person or a better businessman, principles don't change. Yeah. People always ask me, well, a very popular question that people ask me is, what's the difference in training a world champion? And when I had, as an example, Vic Dachinian and Danny Green going at their primes, the, the main thing that I always noticed that my job was, was to tell them to, to stop, not to give me more. Yeah. I never asked Big Dutchini or Danny Green to give me more effort or go more. They were always begging me to do more rounds, to do more runs. It was always my job to manage um, the level that they wanted to give. And if both fighters, I could criticise them, it was for parts of their career, and Danny's realised it very much so now, is that he overtrained. He yeah. put too much stress on his body. He'd done too much work and he wasn't smart enough about the training that he'd done. And hence some of the serious injuries that he has to try to manage now to get 
to the point of hopefully keeping his body together to get that fight with Mundine that he and everyone else wants. Yeah. So it was always pulling him back. It's always saying, and then and the hardest battle with the fighters is 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 they feel that if they're not completely exhausted, those champions, you know, Vic was named Ranger Bull for a reason. Yeah. If he didn't feel exhausted every day, then he felt he hadn't put in a hard training session, and he, he was bludgeoned. And to educate him to hold him back was the hardest job to do. The blokes always say it now. Two things: the bloke I have to tell, say to give me more. He ain't going to make it. Mm. It's just black and white. And I know that straight away. As soon as that bloke says, I've had enough or this is too hard, I go, no problem. Well, that's the level that you've set the bar at. You're going to be that good. You're going to give yourself 60 or 78%. The other thing is, if I can remember what the other point was, oh, the mental side of things. When I was fresh and young and wanted everyone to achieve and had unlimited amounts of passion and energy, which... People, you know, when you keep giving so much of your life to others, it eventually chips away at you. <coughs> you can't give someone the desire to want to be the best they can be or to be a champion. Yeah. If that doesn't come from what uh, Muhammad Ali quotes, something that comes from deep within you, deep down inside you, you ain't going to make it. That, that and I guess that would be my next question, Angela. Did you find generally with a lot of these, uh, you know, particularly boxers, was there a darkness about them, you know, like this, this, this drive to do more, this inability to set limits in their training? Um, was that driven by, you know, a deep, deep sadness or a deep pain or a tragedy in their life? Like, are these people fighting, you know, because, you know, they've got that anger in them that it, it's an outlet for them? It's, a, it's an interesting question, not just for boxers, because I do a lot of work, well, I used to do a lot of work when I was wanting to do a lot more work with the footballers and I work with a number of AFL players and, of course, I told you Parramatta. And it's quite interesting to see boxing's a little bit different to other sports. It's interesting to see... Excuse me. <coughs> and the question when you want to help somebody is you, you, you analyse them and you say to yourself, why is this person here for those reasons that you just said? And you look at, say, the younger generation not having a, a, a go at the younger generation. It's it's a lot different to 20 years ago where my generation were probably a little bit more simpler. Whereas today, you know, you've obviously got hairstyles and fashions and <laughs> so much diversity. Got to look good, mate. Which, which reflects, and then you see, say, Blake's playing football and then... You know, a lot of kids that make it, their parents push them, and it's a good thing, I think, from a young age. And so you see footballers and you think, this kid was obviously a gifted athlete. All the AFL footballers you see would have been all cross, all runners at district and this and natural athletes and best in every sport at their school growing up, outstanding athletes. They get to the AFL and you think, okay, so they're identified so young, 16 and 17, they're in a draft, they're in the AFL. It all happens so quick. And all of a sudden, they, you see, they're okay footballers. And you're thinking, well, why am I here? That, you know, the, the footballers, okay, it's a good job, isn't it? You get there, you're making more money than the bloke down the road. And they go through life and they make a good earn and they become good. But what makes the difference of that champion really stand out from 
that 200 that are making up the numbers even at that level. And it goes back to that deep desire. So it's their why. You know. Why they do what they do. The why thing, like Dangerfield. Why is he just such an animal on the football field that just demands the football and will do anything to get it when the other blokes are just happy to, you know, play a couple of good games, a couple of bad games. It's that question of the why. I, I, I look at so many athletes when I'm watching a football game, I analyse why, why, why. Because boxing, as a trainer, when you pick an opponent and you want to break him down like Danny Green and Roy Jones, you've got to analyse why, why, what makes what makes Roy Jones. And then you've got to analyse, well, what makes my bloke Danny Green? How am I going to nullify that bloke yeah. with my bloke? And as a trainer, that's your job, I guess, to uh, you know get into that minefield and... Work out what the difference is going to be on fight day, right? Exactly. And that, that question you asked me, I have to analyse him, as an example, Roy Jones, and analyse all those things of why he's what is there. Is he there for the money? And then I have to analyse my blokes and I say, well, now I've got to make, take him, do I take his will apart? Do we work on breaking his will down? Can we beat him with a skill? Can we beat him with our strength? We got enough of that. Yep. Will there be enough of that? And you have to break all that down in that single. Person. And have you had fights, uh, or have you prepared fights for big names like Danny, where it has been a battle of will, where maybe you thought that that opponent might have had their match as far as skill went, and the way to tear them apart was outside of the physicality. Yeah, there's been a couple of big fights like that with them. Um, bloke called BJ Flores, who was number one in the world, who was, who was a former heavyweight. Yeah. And Danny was suffering a very bad back injury and a, and a knee injury. He had to have an operation on his uh, knee. <coughs> Couldn't do any running for the fight yep. because of the knee. We had him 10 days, bef- no, 10 days before the fight laying in a CAT scan. They were going to inject cortisone into his spine because he had, had this thing where his back would go and and we had physically had to lay him down in the back of a panel van at the station wagon to drive him to the chiropractor to get it back in. He couldn't walk. Yeah. And I knew that just had everything against Danny skill-wise, uh, size-wise, and Danny just had to be really simple and, and just really uh, dominant, domineering to the split second of not letting that bloke into the fight. And it was all down to a split second if he'd done it. The other one was Shane Cameron because he was another bigger, stronger bloke. And I knew he'd work on range because he was longer than Danny and nullify Danny's jab and won the first two rounds. And we trained for that. We brought heavyweight sparring partners in. They wrestled, they mauled. Mm. And it's completely different fitness. And and to, 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 you know, when you get tired, fatigue makes cowards of us all. So the concentration levels, fatigue to stay in your game plan is what can make or break people. And after the second round, I said, Dan, we're going straight to plan B, grab him, get him inside, just rough t- house tackle him and just fight him in the phone box for the rest until I tell you to change. And he did that and didn't have to change. He said, oh, this is good. He said, he's got no idea. Mm. And Danny really done a job on him. And do people of, of Danny's calibre, um, do you see fear in them? Do they, do they you know, um, get a, a fighter range and, and, and actually go to that point like the average folk would where they think, oh, shit, I don't know if I can beat this guy. Do you see that overcoming them where they have to fight you know, their own fears to get you know, themselves into the game before they even get into their ring? Oh, yes. Yeah, you see it. You see it a lot with the lesser fighters more. The bigger fighters like Danny in... in you know, different ways. Vic Darchinian was a strange bloke, no fear at all. He would fight Klitschko or Mike Tyson tomorrow. It was great to work with like that, Vic. Mm. He just 
his downfall was too much self-belief. Yeah. He believed that he could beat anyone or knock anyone out, and he, all he had to do was throw the hardest punch he could to do it. Yeah. So his strength at times, again, was his, was his weakness. Um, Danny's a very, very smart bloke. The hard part about Danny, for Danny, is to be the businessman and the promoter and the manager virtually, and the fighter. And the, the amounts of pressure that he's taken to do that, I often tell him, you're going to look back one day and say, how did I do it? Because yeah. I, I don't think there's another man on the planet could, could take as much pressure as he has to, to, to do what he had to do. It's like a Roy Jones fight when I rang him and said, I've got Roy Jones. And he said, you're joking, aren't you? I said, you have to put $2.5 million in the bank by Wednesday if you want the fight. It's that simple. I said, can you do it? He goes, let me have a think. He went straight to the bank manager, mortgaged his house, said to me, that rang me and said, that money's in that account. Joking. I said, here's the wow. account. He said, that money's in the account. Tell Roy Jones to sign the contract and get over here. Wow. That's big balls, mate. Isn't it? Absolutely. People don't understand. And talking about how you make it, I often get blokes bit jealous of Danny saying, oh, he gets this and he gets this and media attention. No one's as worked as hard in their career off, well, not off the field, outside of the ring as Danny. Mm. He still got, when he came over to Sydney, I often tell blokes, we moved him in, that's when he came with Jeff and we were partners, me and Danny, moved him in to live with Vic Darcini and he still laughs about Vic making him a steak. He wasn't even hungry, he said, but the way Vic pushed it on me, I felt I'd offend him <laughs> if I didn't. And then he got a little unit next to the train line and, and the the whole house rattled. This is before he made it big, right? This is when he just came from the Olympics. And then he moved Nina over and then she got pregnant. And this house rattled every time the train went past every 20 minutes. And he lived there and then he had Chloe. And then they, we got him a sponsor and put him in a half-decent house. Very good house, actually. Newtown. And I tell people, he made the commitment. He knew no one. He came over. Moved across the country. Left his family, his friends, everybody made the commitment, had his two kids, raised his two kids, and then eventually went back to Perth and continued with his career. And that's the ultimate sacrifice. I get kids all around the world approaching me saying, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I go, well, yeah. are you prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice? Not many people are, even from Australia. Oh, look, I think uh, looking at it from a business perspective too, you know, those of us uh, in business and have studied business and have studied, you know, the findings and, and observations of, you know, People like Napoleon Hill and whatnot, uh, you know, it was always that, you know, one of those key aspects to success is always a burning desire. You know, there's got to be that absolutely burning desire to rip shit and bust in order to you know, have an outcome. Um, yeah, and, and obviously tie that in with a legacy, you know, that's bigger than, than, than themselves, you know. So I think that um, you make extremely valid points there about that burning desire and certainly to, to mortgage one's house you know, to rally two and a half mil to fight someone that, you know, that may or may not have been a good outcome for him is uh, a very, very ballsy move. You're right. Yeah. And going back to that point, I've met a lot of blokes that have gone bankrupt and if anyone studies, um, and I admire the blokes, anyone studies, uh, although the American system's a bit different, you know, that rich man, poor man, you know, um, all these blokes, I think even Branson in the early days, all these blokes have been bankrupted or bankrupted some forms of companies like Donald Trump. They're a bit smarter than the average mm. bloke and, you know, one company bankrupts, doesn't hurt their name and they keep going. Yeah. And the two, there's two blokes I, I know quite closely that have made it to the point of multi-millionaires like, you know, 
every $100 million. And those blokes, the key thing those blokes have told me is they've had their balls on the line their whole lives. Mm. Every day, everything they've built and owned could have gone until the point that they Big risk, it. big sacrifice, right? Exactly. Big risk, big gain. And those blokes I just admire for how much you know, being prepared to risk and back themselves and their passion to, to make it to that old. Not many blokes make it to that big money. It's funny too, you know, you bring up uh, Richard Branson as an example and um, I don't know this to be fact, but I like the story enough to share it. But I have heard from people that are uh, sort of tight in that circle that uh, Branson won't employ people in his inner circle that haven't been bankrupt at least twice. Uh, you know, and when asked, you know, because so many people look at bankruptcy as a failure, of course, but when asked about it, Richard was, you know, of the opinion that unless people had gone out there and put themselves on the line and were willing to, you know, to lose it all, that were then capable of rebuilding the whole lot again to go bankrupt again, he didn't want to play with his money, you know. So it was just one of those things that people either showed those that 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 level of human trait um, that was going to work for him, or people were showing that you know they were never worthy or able to take that risk themselves. And so why would he let them, you know, juggle their money, his money around, you know? So yeah, it's amazing. So tell us about uh, working with Tyson. What, what, what happened there? Oh yeah, Jeff ended up his trainer. It's Fennick. Fennick, you know, yeah. me and Fennick were partners. So wherever Jeff went, I went. We went over there. We sent big Bobby Merovic over as a sparring partner. Yeah. As anyone that sees Bobby Merovic's Facebook, he puts it up every second day. You've been yeah, Tyson. Nice. What a feat. So he should. And um, it was a shame because if Tyson kept fighting, he was going to possibly fight Bob. Joking. In um, no, in maybe the next fight. That's a spin out. Bob, yeah. Bob trained at my gym back at home on the Central Coast. <laughs> no, that's true. And. Um, because obviously he didn't want dangerous opponents and it made, could have brought him to Australia or, or America and fought Bob. Bob at the time had a great record, Australian champion. And um, that was good. He was, you know, I, I like Tyson. It's funny, like Tyson, um, like, you know, lost so many bikes with bipolar and, and fame brings that bipolar to you. It's, it's a, you know, when, you, when you're in a bad mood and all of a sudden you've got to become a good boy talk on the telephone or the, or the media or do a business thing and you've got to be blowing someone up and having all the problems with 20 kids and then all of a sudden you've got to say, oh, yeah, hello, hi, hi. Yeah. You know, fame brings... Hard to stay level. It, it, it brings that up and down in you. So one of the most politest blokes you'd ever meet in your life. Loved his stories. Very funny bloke. And um, but you just wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him like anyone. We all got tempers. Mm. But uh, he, he's another bloke with... You could ask him any heavyweight champion what round he won. He's an encyclopedia of boxing knowledge. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, one of the best examples. There's a bloke that came from nothing, absolutely passionately loved the sport. He's an encyclopedia of the sport of boxing. But somewhere along the line, you get hurt enough times and they chip away at you, chips away at you, and then you lose that passion. And the other thing that happens a lot in boxing is when people come from nothing, and end up with a lot, then they forget why they were there in the first place, and mm. they lose that passion, and then it becomes about the money. So the why drops away again. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things. Sakiya Big is a really good bloke and came from Cameroon, and we looked after him. And I'll never forget the example with Sakiya. You know, you all want to make money, and especially the less money you come from, the more you need it for your family, as an example. And I used to remind him at times his story was why he started boxing because if you, if you boxed as an amateur, you got prizes. 
And I said, what was the prize? He said, toilet paper. <laughs> so I said, you started boxing for toilet paper. He said, yeah. Wow. And always sometimes you get off the track and say, just remember why you started boxing. You started boxing for toilet paper. Why are you now complaining? Because you haven't got five grand worth of sponsorship and you've only got two. Mm. You should be satisfied with what you've got. Yeah, and now getting away from wants, you know, you know you're, now you're talking just basic need, aren't you? You know, you're, you're moving away completely from, uh, you know, wanting to be famous or, you know, want, wanting to have that Ferrari. And now it's getting to the fact that, you know, I've got to wipe my ass before I worry about the car, yeah? It's very interesting too, like, when I, when you train people as a trainer, you don't make much money. So the bloke has to make a lot of money for you to make a little bit of money. Yeah. And, Kids sometimes come from amateurs and say, you know, I really want to fight. They put their dads turn up and this and that. And then they're fighting for free for 50 fights for a trophy. Mm. And all of a sudden, the kid becomes a professional. And you go, well, hey, listen, I've got a fight for you. It's a, it's a good fight. I know you'll win the fight because the other bloke's not that good. And you go, but to get that fight, we're probably going to have to fight for free. Which, and the bloke goes, I'm not fighting for free. I want X amount of money. I go... You've only had four professional fights. Three weeks ago or a month ago, you were happy to fight for free and drive across Australia at whatever at your own cost, but now all of a sudden you want to be paid. And then you sort of see what's really driving that kid. Whereas a bloke like Darchinian, when he lost to Denier, he just said, and that's why he's a real champion, Vicar. He's got some special traits. He said, I don't want any money. I don't care where it's at, when it's at. I just want to rematch Denier for my own pride. Mm. He wasn't caring about the money. He said, I'll fight him for free anywhere in the world. He said to Gary Short, just get me Denier the next fight. I don't want to fight anyone else. So that's an example of a man that never forgot why he started. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when Elias managed him, he never asked how much. He never. He just wanted to know who and when, and he would go and prepare for that. He would just leave his trust to Elias and all he wanted to do was his job as a boxer. You know, he had some really die-hard fighters, mm. a real fighter's trait. So. What kind of guy was Vic? You know, tell me a bit about his upbringing. Yeah, he grew up in Armenia with his dad, went over there with him, fought over there once, pretty hard sort of a joint, cold a lot of the time of the year, beautiful place, beautiful people. And uh, come over here for the Olympics and... We soon even grabbed him and about five other blokes, which I think four or five, four of them, four out of the five, probably went on to be world champions. Yep. Pretty good guy and good family over here and pretty loyal bloke as a huge amount of friends. Good fella. Mm, nice. So, um, I guess my next question is um, taking some of these champions. To, if they if they display this burning desire to you know to be good, this need that they have to satisfy, that they don't let go of in their own mind, have you seen that crossover in other phases of their lives? Do they do they typically tend to then be good businessmen, then tend to be um, you know um, successful in other areas of their life rather than just within the ring? No, doesn't one doesn't go with the other. Okay, good. Let's explore that. To be a good businessman, it's very difficult. It's not as it's not an easy road, as you know. You know, uh, to 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 get old blokes tell you in life. And I used to grow up. I love the old sayings. 
if you can meet five people in your life, one count on your hand, trustworthy people that you could call your best mate, that you could trust with anything, you'd be a lucky man. Mm. And very difficult in life and in business to get that complete trust, you know, without greed and these type of things. So to be a good businessman, you've got to be really, you, you've got to find some pretty good people to, to, to um, what's the word when someone looks after you? God, not guide you, there's mentor, you say. Yes. Um, just like in the boxing ring, if you you go to the wrong people, you're quickly going to be going out the wrong shoot as I'd well. say that for someone like Danny, to have all sorts of people wanting to work with her, right? You know what I mean? You become a name and all of a sudden everyone was, uh, wants a piece of the pie and uh, not all people are uh, authentic. That's right, Matt. That is a real bad... It's a really frustrating thing when you take a kid from nothing and then all of a sudden they become something. It's embarrassing to, to say to people, can you, can you help this bloke? You know, like you, how many people come to you and say, I've got this bloke, can you give him free supplements? Can, mm. you, can you be this bloke for free? Can you be that for free? No one wants to pay you. Mm. It's hard for you because you know he's not making anything. And all of a sudden, this bloke becomes something. How many of them remember you? Yeah, you're right. When you gave all those hours. Yeah. You helped Vic Darchin in with his diet in the early days. That's right. You know, when I come to you. But we've all, always kept that, that friendship. And out of respect for, for that, as an example, as soon as I heard you were there, I said, mate, come and stay on my property. Yeah. You were there for me. I haven't forgot that respect. Yeah. Whereas so many other blokes would have gone, I have a good trip, mate. Your van looks nice. I think that's a lot to do with... Um, um, you know, you're a 50-year-old bloke, Angelo, you know, and uh, I'll just say it as I see it. Um, I think the uh, the great Aussie bloke is a dying breed, to be yeah. honest with you, and uh, whether or not that is um, just to do with, um, you know, these times, um, I'm not so sure. I, I wouldn't sort of um, seek to, to, to judge um, people um, so quickly. But, uh, but you're right, you know, like the ability to look a guy in the eye, um, you know, like I know for me, my handshake's are, my handshake's my handshake, you know, yeah. it's all I've got, you know, my word's all I've got. And uh, you don't always come across that in life. But um, yeah, it's, um, you know, slightly off track, but an interesting observation for sure. Tell me um, the Danny Green chalk rematch, you know, that's... Is it going to happen one day? You know, yeah, I think it will. Something all of us want to see, right? You know I know Chop, yeah. and uh, we all know it's going to be a massive payday for every single person involved. <coughs> but is that, you know, like Danny's, what, 43 now? Chop's 41, I think. You know, like, mate, they're almost they're almost eligible for seniors cards. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, but this is where people like you, mate, have, have turned the, the 40 into 30. Yeah. Maybe even 25. Well, I, I know Chock believes he's in his best shape of his life. Yeah. You know? And I know coming up in weight, Chock's going to be a lot more dangerous than going down absolutely ridiculous to take your body to the point of such weakness. I said to you before, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I, I, that bloke has incredible discipline to mm. have even attempted what he attempted. From my angle, I don't think it was smart at all. But... Um, Incredible discipline and respect for being able to do it, to oh, make the sacrifice. What and what kind of what kind of boxer do you know? This is just talking from the green camp. What kind of boxer do you guys seeing uh, Chop be? You know, like I, I, I know personally, you've got respect for for Anthony and think he's oh, a good you, good fighter. And you'd be an idiot if you didn't. He's an absolute. He's one of the blokes in the Roy Jones, the Pacquiao, the Mun, the Mayweather. 
you know, these blokes have, um, have God given gifts. They've been given gifts from God or the Creator or whoever you believe in. Mm. You know, these are special breeds of people. Mundine could have been anything. If his dad was an athletics minded bloke, yeah. Mundine would have ran for Australia. Yeah. You know, if he yeah, was true. a basketballer, Mundine yeah. would have played in America in basketball. Yeah, I agree. But they said he could have gone and played for the Sydney Kings if he didn't want to go to boxing. Mm. That, that's a fact. You know, mm. th- these are special people that that um, if Pacquiao and Mayweather or Roy Jones was two foot taller, Roy Jones could have played in the NBA. Probably could have really anyway if he wasn't a boxer. Mm. And going back to, to athletes again. As a trainer, so I've just finished the, 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 the green thing. I never thought it would happen because of the weight difference. Chock had to get beat at that weight badly like he did to realise that he's so weak at that weight that his resistance has gone at that weight. And I've seen it time and time again. He'll be stronger and much, much more better resistance at the weight. It, it's a close fight at the weight. Mm. I've got to be completely on the ball when they fight again. And I've always respected him as an unbelievable athlete and what he's done as a boxer has fought some great fighters. Mm. He's a top boxer. The only thing that lets him down to the general public is what makes him money is he makes money out of controversy. He gets... He gets what results. He does. So, so people dislike him because of that, but no one can knock him. For you know what? It's, and it's, it's the thing that I've always um, defended Chock with. You know, um, I know him well enough to know he's a he's a good guy. You know, if someone asked me uh, how I would describe Anthony Mundine, my word is kind, which I find very unusual. I've never described another man as kind, to be honest with you. Um, I, f- I find him a very kind, very genuine human. Um, and you're right, and, and I say to people, you know, how many times have you heard shit about Chock outside of fight promo? You don't, you know, he's not out there, you know, um, doing bad things in the public eye, oh, he's not out there causing shit with, you know, with, with people or women or, you know, he's not doing crude things in public toilets, he's one of these guys, <laughs> mate, that, you know, he, he, he leads a, uh, a very honest, authentic life, he's a very, very good father, uh, and, um, you know, he, like Danny, he he pays his own promo costs. And so when it comes, if you're going to stick, you know, $700,000 into your next fight and you're going to get paid from, you know, Foxtel viewing, well, I guess it makes sense on some level. You get out there and, you know, make a mouth of yourself, you know. And, uh, um, you know, but, but that aside, how, how significant is the disdain between those two? Do you know, like uh, you would only know, how, how does Danny feel about Chop? Because to, to the public, yeah, they just, hate each other, you know? Yeah. Is that a fair representation of, of their, their view of each other, oh, do you believe? Yeah, they, they, I think there's, there's a fair bit of... Um, Water under the well, bridge. Well, <laughs> r- regardless if Danny, Danny thought... Regardless if it was his own brother, mm. and you've never seen more competitive two-piece people in your life yep. as BG... Even at the point where his name's BJ, someone mistakenly one day called him BJ. He got really offended, and nearly belted a bloke because he was drinking. <laughs> so from this day on, Greeny calls him BJ. Yeah, yeah. His Just his name was BJ. That's the level of competitiveness that he's got one up on him every time he calls him. Is he younger than Danny or older? Older. older. And he was a top footballer, won the grand final at Claremont, won the best and fairest, got drafted to the Eagles, didn't play the game because he hated him when he played for Carlton and tells me he's with the Brendan Travola of the, of the Waffle. Great yeah, bloke. I just yeah. love him to death. And um, so even if that was his own brother, mate, Mundine's got one up, 
one up on him. And now Greeny hates the fact that anyone's got one up on him. Yeah. So Greeny wants to belt him badly because of that would be burning him every day. Yeah. So, Which makes for a great fight, right? That so makes for a great so fight. So even if we do have seniors up there fighting one day, it's going to be a ripper. But, mate, if you look at um, the heavyweights, what's he, 43? Klitschko just lost a title having a rematch with... Um, you know, Mayweather and these blokes, Pacquiao, they're pushing their 40s. Mm. Is it Mayweather? Mayweather, Mayweather 40? Yeah, he is. Bang yeah, on. You know? So, and this is going back to UFC. What UFC can't sustain? What UFC has over boxing is they'll chuck anyone in with anyone. Mm. And it doesn't matter as much with who wins or loses. So, that's a huge advantage. They own them. They pay them peanuts. Yeah. So, UFC makes all the money and can do what they want. Boxing's different to the fact if they have longevity. Mm. UFC can't sustain long champions. Boxing can. But as long as they manage their bodies better today with the medical side of things and the, the, the better training, which we spoke about, not destroying their bodies. Like Jeff Finney, the greatest bloke to ever watch box, and I love Jeff to death, was burnt out before he even hit his prime. Mm. Going back to the, the money, found the money from nothing, licked his brain as it does, mm. maybe not enough guidance in the right ways, and then never actually in the ring probably hit his peak. Trained to death. You never see a harder train. Even today, Fennec will just be with me at a hotel start running 20 k's. I go, yeah, well, when are you going to stop? He goes, I feel like running 20 today. And he'll run at a flat-out pace. He's a machine, Jeff. Wow. Supreme athlete. Oh, incredible. So, going back and probably get off the track about me. That's one of my screaming children. Their other can hear him having a cry. So, uh, my wife's running out to take him away now. Um, All good. And going back to the God-given talent. So we should. Going back to the God-given talent, as I tell blokes, I can't make all the as world champions. Not everyone in this gym, and very few are going to actually make it. Yeah. My mission in life is what, what I can offer you is to make you the best that you can be. Mm. Your part of the deal is to also give me the best that you can give me mm. to be the best that you can be. Mm. Hard part is, is the big jump in boxing. It's not like being able to be a 100-metre sprinter and be good at it. You all have to be endurance athletes. Yep. And that's a hard jump to get that work, train, diet, sleep, rest, feed me Relationships, kids. fatherhood. All that. Yeah, all that stuff. School pickups, yeah. Easter hat parades. It, it, it must be hard for these guys as they get on. And I think you make an interesting point. Now, I haven't actually thought about MMA versus boxing in the light you just put forward. But but you're right, you know, like you've got some of these guys like, you know, like at their peak at 40. Uh, and, you know, um, I don't think there's been another um, sport of its type like that where you, you're finding that certainly in the, you know, in the, in the fight world. But um, you're... Uh, you're, you've got a franchise now over in um, Western Australia with the Dragon Fire Boxing, Dragon is that Fire, right? Yeah. yeah, so do you still have some you know, uh, ageing athletes um, in the realms over there as well? Yeah, it, it becomes a, um, even say to the, the lower, not the world champ, not the lower level, say the Australian, the domestic level. The sad part of boxing, as I say, is... is the kids, you have a huge amount of kids, especially Indigenous kids, of yeah. just naturally gifted athletes in boxing. Right? Yeah. Their genetics are made fast-switch fibre. Yeah. 
great movement, looseness, hand-eye coordination. It's just so built for boxing. Mm. And all kids, then you hit the 17 and you'll lose 90% in one hit when they get their licences and, and alcohol and not Yes, yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden you get 10% out of 90 left in the gym. Mm. And you get that rocky road and out of that 10% who's left go all right, then all of a sudden they get married, have kids, mm. and you get from that 10 to about 1. Mm. And then if that 1 can get through that that rocky road, you ended up about point 0.1. Yeah. And then you might get a champion. And then by that time, they're 30, and the kids are hit, hit about 10 and all that, and it's all going okay, and you might get them a good run to 35. So that's why a lot of that... That's amazing. You see that older pattern, yeah. Sort of uh, never thought of it that way. You know, come through the the, the detractions of life. So let me ask you this question then: Would it be possible to take someone at thirty who's never trained in boxing before, you know, who has got that burning desire and has got some level of natural talent, and get them to a point where they're at a high level at forty? Couldn't you start them at thirty? Um. Yes, you could. You probably. As you know, a lot, a lot. I mean, the earlier you can get a child in development, yeah, of course, their nervous system. You know, there's a mindset in the world, though. Unfortunately, certainly in the world of allopathic medicine, you know, um, as we get older, we get worse. That's that's the philosophy behind it. You know, a seven year old woman goes to her doctor and she says, "Oh, doctor, I've got this," and he sort of looks at her and is like, "Well, what do you expect? You're seventy, you know." There's kind of this mindset that goes with aging that you can't possibly get better with age. All I'm asking you is, do you think it's possible for people to actually, you know, get better with age to the point where you could take a 30 year old and have them? Yeah, I think definitely at, at, at a you know better physical state and, and, and boxing potential ten no years problem. later. No problem. It's, it's certainly, um, certainly. Um, I want everyone to hear this. This is mentally, important. Certainly mentally, because by that age you've gone through a lot of life's experiences and you know yourself better. And going back to, so, so that answer is quite simply yes. And going back to you know some things like why I've dealt with a lot of medical blokes in all aspects of medicine. I'm very open-minded. Mm. Um, I was actually a medic in the army, worked with all the specialists in the hospital, so I've seen a lot of different medicines and treatments and operations. Worked in theatre, seen a lot of the body. And the greatest thing that you've got to learn in life as it goes through is what works for you. Mm. I'm at, you know, you give some things a go at the right times. Of course, you don't a week before the fight say, take this, it'll make you jump through the roof. Yeah. You find the things that work for you and then you try to build on them. And one thing about Dan, like Greeny, he's had a lot of sponsors over the years with supplements and these things and he's some of the good people that I've met have said, okay, I will give you these things, but if this really works for you, and take this one out and keep that one in, even if it's another brand or whatever, because tried and tested things that you, you know that, that work. And with Danny, um, he has to have, uh, like sugar's a double-edged weapon and, and carbohydrates and, you know, sugar and my limited stops at about ATP and mm-hmm. where yeah, yeah. Energy about, production, about yeah. the limit of my... What I need to go in. If yeah. I need to go in any further, I bring you in and go. <laughs> well, well, this is what I need, and then yeah, it's yeah. like an accountant or a lawyer. I don't go and represent myself in yeah. court, but I know 
If, you know I, go, enough, if I go past that that sign, that camera at a hundred k's, I'm going to get booked. Yeah. So when Green is training, I can tell um, to the split second by the blink in his eyes how long his eyes are blinking, to where he's at, you know, in in what he's eating or what he hasn't eaten, and his supplements. And and one thing I used to do, which I do when I can for big fights, is bring a table tennis table in and make him play table tennis before training. Mm. One, to switch off from the real world mentally. Yeah. And two, to physically to see how sharp he is before he actually starts training. Awesome. And if I can see that he's playing all these shots and he's on a high energy level in the table tennis, yeah. then I can get a guide that, okay, I'm going to get a fairly good training. If he's flat playing the table tennis, I can then use that as a guide and go, well, my schedule's 10 rounds today, but I'm going to drop him back to six because yeah. I can see that he's a bit flat. And then I would play, make him play table tennis before we left the gym. So we, he'd leave on a high and be clear of a mind because we always have a lot of fun when we play table tennis and go on into the day of media and carrying on and have left on a come on a high and left on a high. So coming and leaving the gym was, was psychological positive. positive. Yeah. You know, it was one of the, the best things. But I think table tennis is one of the best games for any athlete there is. It's funny you say that. I, I just did a podcast with uh, Keegan Smith, who was the um, the um, performance coach down at the Roosters 2013-2014. And uh, we are just talking about movement, and he's got some fairly unique kind of perspectives on, on movement and, and how it um, you know, correlates into people's lives and, and the like. But anyway, um, he's got a, uh, a table tennis um, set up in his garage, you know, like you know, right next to his gym. And uh, same scenario, you know, he'll often start, he'll, he'll sort of dribble a basketball and things as warm up for doing, you know, exercise and he'll go on his table tennis, even with clients of his and just get them playing table tennis, you know, he does it for like, hand-eye coordination and speed and skill and these things that he finds, you know, um, once again, cross-correlates into the movements that they're going to perform afterwards. But uh, that's interesting. Second time in, you know, a week and a half, I've heard about table tennis. Yeah, I love table tennis. I have to start playing more. My problem is when I play table tennis is normally, you know, uh, some, uh, you know, dip and, uh, and corn chips and then, you know, copious beers hanging around it, you know. <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, mate. I drank a slab of uh, Coronas one night in, in Greenie's garage. Uh, did playing you? table tennis till about 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, well. Mate, we thought we were Forrest Gump. Yeah. We were on the back wall of his shed doing... Did Danny drink? Three metre, uh, three metre uh, top, top spin and it was the best table tennis of all time. Yeah, no, Greeny, he's a typical Aussie bloke, loves Aussie his beer. beers. He's, yeah. pulled up, he's pulled up as he's got older, though. He realises he can't put his body under the um, strain that he, you know, would. So, so age has made him smarter, though. Yeah. Oh, much smarter. He, and I said to him, mate, you, you know, you've got to really watch this body if you want to hold it out. And we have these talks and we go, gee, I'll, I'll cut right back and... Because he's too good. Like if he starts drinking, he'll go for a session with you and drop a slab of Coronas. Or I mean, that's a really interesting takeaway, though, for uh, for people listening. You know, um, my followers, uh, a lot of them are just very average people. You know, living normal lives. And uh, same thing. You know, I'm, I'm about to turn forty, and uh, I, I realise that I can't do to my body now what I could do to it when I was thirty. You know, um, or even at thirty five, to be honest with you. And uh, it's, I think it's uh, it's nice for people to hear that. Even people like Danny um, still have to go through some level of self-sacrifice. Oh. 
you know, in order to, you know, uh, adapt, I guess, to their body. Um, you know, we know how um, important adaptation is just generally from a success perspective. So I think that's an interesting one. But just to uh, just to finish off, Angelo, um, give me a couple, I guess, of your takeaways just from your life as a man, just from your own observations from, you know, working in business and working with people. What are a couple of uh, your sort of major things that you'd like to share with uh, our listeners today that you find that people um, can um, sort of adapt or move into their life to sort of help them just live happier, happier lives generally? Yeah, my, it's, it's very hard to, going back to what we said about the, to find the balance between sacrifice and commitment to achieve what you want. Mm-hmm. It's a real hard balance to achieve that house and that car and that business and, and all these things that you want, which half of us die and leave them to our kids anyway, which so many people end up the richest people in a cemetery attitude. Mm. That's real hard. When you And to fight the security that you need because it's an ever-changing world and to live in the now and to enjoy the now. Mm. You've got to find that balance. And that's the hardest part, to find that balance where, like you, you're going to lose a lot of money not going away this two and a half years. Mm. But, mate, the experience you're going to get with your kids and this, can money buy that? Absolutely not, mate. It can't. And I knew that. You know, I knew leaving my clinic behind, that I was leaving behind a certain lifestyle. And, um, you know, I guess that, you know, you look at things and you realise that, um, you know, everything is a double-edged sword, but, you know, one side's sweeter than the other. And I just knew I wouldn't get this time with my kids again, this time with my wife again. I wouldn't have the opportunity to have these conversations, take this information to to people that I know in my life. You do it anyway, and you do it knowing that, uh, you know, the outcome's going to be a good one. Because it's a learning process, isn't it? You know, everything is an evolution of learning and... Sometimes you fuck up too and you realise, oh, wow, okay, well, that's no good. I'm going to have to go and do it differently now. But um, that's, that's interesting. So for you, it's the, it's the delicate balance between, um, I forget the way you just deemed it a moment ago, but you phrased it words to the effect of there's this desire for this outcome and there's you know, the life that runs in and through that. But then there's also, what was it you said? It was like doubt or fear of not having it or the fear of needing it, seeking what you're trying, seeking what you don't have. So it's sort of being driven by that lack. Is that what you were saying? Yes. It's... Well, people want money that don't have money, right? You know, or yeah, exactly. people, people, people want a car that don't have a car. You, they, know? you know, they want the things they don't have and then... You push for them, but then you look back and 10 years is gone and you think, I've just, I'm now 40. I could have been playing sport that whole year or, mm. you know, that like 10 years of that decade, and now I can work till I die. What am I going to do? And then blokes decide to retire. And is um, not to miss the living for the now, but to be able to find the balance of you, what you need and what you want. But don't miss the balance of living for the now like you are. You know, you're living for the now and you've never probably been happier. Mm. There's been times in my life where I've had a lot more money than I have now when I've worked harder in business. But when I look back, they were probably the most unhappiest times I had because yeah. I was not living in the now. I was too driven about 
trying to get to this point where I needed to get to. Mm-hmm. Hence why I'm here trying to do this and now trying to find a balance of keeping, you know, making enough money to, to be able to, to you know, live the lifestyle that I'm living. Yeah. But the whole key is if you can take the chance. And as you said before, look, I moved to Perth, Central Coast, when I was from Victoria in the Army, is... The whole point is if you can really try to find something you enjoy and find if you can find a path of work or career or based upon passion, based upon the passion, you're lucky. That's the key. If you can find that, then you can be living in the now. And and that's that's the ultimate if you can find that and sacrifice. I, I would advise anyone to take less money any day and follow their dreams and their passion mm. any day. And if I could turn the clock back, that's what I would would do. Yeah, someone um, <clears throat> someone that I know well, someone who's very smart and very wise, told me once, he said, Shannon, you'll be three things in your life. And I said, what's that? He said to me, you'll be a businessman, you'll be a father, and you'll be a husband. And I said, yeah, what's your point? He said to me, you'll only ever do two of them well. And that was where, I guess that's where... Um, I've got my perspective from from that point. You know, there's a lot of people out there, like you say, with hundreds of millions of dollars that are on their fourth marriage and don't know their kids, you know? And uh, as cool as it is to have the money and have the fast cars and have the things, you know, I think that uh, when you put things before people, um, you, you you miss the sweetness of life. And uh, about three stops ago on my journey, I stayed with a very dear friend of mine, Pat, and his wife, Laura, down in Vella, just north of Nambucca Heads, and they've got a beautiful acreage not dissimilar to yours. And uh, I have my kids there, of course, and, uh, you know, their girls are a bit older and their girls are um, more, uh, much better behaved than my children. And I always get um, fairly, um, what would you say, I'm sensitive to um, the fact that not everyone's got kids my age and, you know, kids can be a pain in the ass when they're young. So I sort of come in for the heart of my kids as far as behaviour and how they should act and all the rest of it. Anyway, one morning I come up into Pat's house and I had one of my kids banging on their piano and another kid, you know, had their, uh, you know, this uh, like Lego set all over the floor. And the place was a shit fight, is what I'm trying to say. And I came in and I was like, what are you doing? And started to freak out. And, um, you know, Pat and Laura came over and, 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 and didn't educate me in it yet. I took it as education, but they said, Shannon, don't worry. You know, like we never, ever let things be more important than people. You know, and so they, they actually have set their environment up in a way where sort of not really too much can happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, my kids might spill some Lego on the floor and stuff, but, uh, you know, it's all good type thing. And that was one of my takeaways, you know. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> but, yeah, you know, you can be three things in your life and you'll only ever really do a couple of them very well and you've got to start looking at what's more important, you know, and, and, and people and experiences and, and, you know, the blessings of the universe and whatnot are more important than, uh, than you know, chasing the almighty buck and stressing yourself out in the process. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thank you for your time, Angelo. It's been most insightful. And I know that uh, we all want to see um, Danny fight Mundine again. So Me and my bank manager are very Please, yeah. <laughs> Please make it happen because it's going to be a big night in the pub, that one. I don't need to do it. Yeah. All right, mate. Good on you. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com.